Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 55, Collaborating with Players. In many ways, D&D itself is entirely about collaboration. Like just getting together is, a, yeah. is an act of collaboration, right? Yeah, I, I think or at least cooperation. Yeah, this this was something that you know when I was a, a baby dungeon master, um, I, I thought of it in a different way, where I was like, okay, I'm the director of this scene, and you know, I'm not going to say cut, but I'm going to lead the players in a way that kind of makes my story fit the railroad track that I'm building. Um, and I, I, I really enjoyed that for a long time, but eventually I, I saw when it went off the rails, I realized, oh, I don't need these rails. I can trust them, um, with, with their stories, with their, um, intentions. And that's when it really got beautiful as I was like, oh, this isn't me as a director, like kind of forcing them into like notches and and decisions it was like oh they can they can do what they want and and i'm excited as someone who loves role playing and uh improvisation to react to that and so that's when it really opened up as like a collaborative game because i think you guys especially will i think you're so good at this some of the early games i've played with you you're like okay um you guys are starting in the town of rockport what lies north of Rockport? Hmm. And I'm like, whoa, we we get to help you with that, Will? Like, like, because I was, I'm used to being like, okay, the dungeon master, you're kind of cradled in their arms, and they can kind of do what they will with the environment and the story, and like, I'm a, a fun, unwitting pawn to the whole thing. Um, and I think you really show that. I, where did you get that? It was. Uh, um, with the questions, the collaborative. Uh, oh, that's probably world. Dungeon World. Probably Dungeon yeah. World. Yes, and so that was where I really, truly thought of Dungeon Mastering in a different way. Of like, oh, this is truly collaborative. Like, in reality, if you're with a good group of players, any one of you guys could be the Dungeon Master at any time. Hmm. If you're really collaborating. True. Um, yeah. And that, that, that really opened my eyes to what, what D&D is, which is collaboration. It isn't, it isn't this um, referee, um, you know, mega god, director, manipulator, dungeon master that's controlling everything. It is everyone equally contributing and collaborating. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're on to something there. Because I think there's a, a difference, a big difference between collaborating and cooperating. Because oh, interesting. I think that you know, if you're if you're DMing and you're like, you know, my players aren't cooperating within my story, it's like you're even having that like mindset is a is a can be a negative approach because you're it's 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 like you've taken ownership of something that is, I guess, inherently everyone's at the table, and you're trying to get people to fall in line with a specific vision or, you know, narrative or story or game or whatever you want to call it. And you're trying to uh, take ownership of that and try to, I don't know, control it into your own way. And I think that trying to be more open about collaborating or like 
having this discussion of like, you know, what do we want this world to feel like? What do we want this world to uh, be inhabited with? Or, you know, what are, we, what are the struggles that we want to kind of face in this game? It's hmm. definitely going to be a more productive and enjoyable experience. Interesting. So I'm thinking about those questions, Jake, that I would, I used to ask them all the time for world building. Um, and maybe this is something that I haven't talked about as much on the show, but every campaign that I've run has been in a different universe and probably the most long lasting of those. There's one, um, I ran for a whole summer, um, I think it was about 16 sessions, which doesn't seem like a lot now, but no, no, we're the opposite. Cause you are a master of this, of this collaborative world building. And I feel like I need to grow in that because a lot of my world building is like, Hey, I don't care who you are. Welcome to my table. This world is very established. And you could read about it on my wiki. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, yeah, these players have been playing in Arcadia and the Valorain empire for, you know, four years, so <laughs> you're gonna have to deal with that. But you've been very like, you know, I, I I've come back to California, and you're like, okay, let's build a cool world to play in. And I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa, that's. But you won't know what lies to the the, the southern coast. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, and I think that like as as far as most of our listeners are concerned, uh, Jake is living the dream of having a well established, deeply rooted. <laughs> Um, vast historical setting um, that has lasted for what two or three years, Jake? Is that right? Uh, five, four. Oh five. my gosh! Right, yeah. like yeah. I would love to have something like that. Um, and so mine is—it's not a series of one shots; it's a series of short campaigns where it's—they'll often start off with me asking the players what kind of game they want to play, and then they tell me, and then I make that happen, or I sort of collaborate hey there's the key phrase for the episode there we are um, of saying like here's what i would like and then here's what you would like and let's kind of build that together and so um yeah i've had some really crazy things come out of that there's one in particular that we built with the dungeon world world building questions it's like a document i had a series of questions yeah that, that developed this kind of um ancient egypt mad max stargate kind of thing Huh. And it was actually, I thought, very interesting. And we only played it one time, and it was, you know, bizarre. Uh, but one of the players came to me later, and he says, actually, I didn't like that setting at all because it wasn't what I wanted. Hmm. And I said, but you helped me build it. And he says, well, it kind of took a direction. It took a turn that I didn't like. And I was uh, like, huh, okay, well, it's good. We only played one one set uh, campaign, or sorry, one session in that. Um, but it completely came out of the player's answers to those questions. So, I mean, both of these, it's not like one is better than the other. It's sort of like th- these are the tools I have available is that typically people come to me and they say, I want to play D&D with you. And here's my group of friends. Let's play. And then I build a game for them. And that's, oh. I find it deeply satisfying. It's very interesting. You you almost feel like a, uh, you know, in a great way, like a dungeon master for hire in a way. Mm-hmm. Like there isn't a, a Thursday nights or game night. that That's when the same people come over and yeah. Cause I'm trying to think of me doing that. I, like I, I, I'm so established with my, my group of people that that seems like I I don't know. Well, like, the grass is always greener, right? Like I would love a more established and consistent weekly campaign. And you would love maybe the flexibility to step outside of that every now and then and play in some bizarre, like chunks of a planet floating through space adventure. <laughs> um, but yeah. like the, the truth is like, we just sort of, we get to play with uh, with what we have. Yeah. 
When is collaboration a necessity? Oh, well, character creation. Like, it immediately comes to mind. Because so often oh, I have played... Yeah. Like, so 5e I has so many... That way. 5e has so many characters and class combinations, and yet I still have conversations almost every new campaign where somebody wants to play an unofficial class or, or a race, um, huh. or unofficial subclass, and I'm like, is, is there not enough variety for you in the base game? And the answer, of course, is no. Um, but, <laughs> like, collaborating like that, like, they ask me, like, can I do this? And I tell them, yes, but, or no, and, you know... Um, especially when it influences world building, which we'll talk about in a second. What do you think, Jake? Interesting. Yeah, I, I wasn't even thinking of that direction. Um, but yeah, that that's definitely like I, I think it, the game will be so much better if there is, you know, that. Um, and I think this is going to be a big uh, thing that we talk about throughout all of the different ways to collaborate with players is just communication. I mean, a lot of in general, collaborating is communication of just like, okay, what do I want? What does the DM want? What is um, the exciting things we can create together? And so, yeah, character creation is a really interesting thing, like, especially when the dungeon master is like, okay, we're playing in a post-apocalyptic setting. You know, if someone says, like, I'm playing, you know, this this, this is cool uh, glamour bard, like, you'd be like, okay, wait, what? Like, you know, it's like grungy, post-apocalyptic. And then you can do the work together and be like, okay, if you really want to be this, we can, you know, fit you onto some uh, some weird moving platform and we can have you holding a guitar that, uh, you know, has a flamethrower on it. Oh um, and eventually you become, <laughs> you know, this kind of Mad Max, like, uh, insanity thing that works great. And so I think um, really collaborating with the Dungeon Master for character creation is something I, I wasn't even thinking about, but it's so important. It's so important to uh, to mesh your idea of a character with the tone, especially the tone uh, of the setting. I think intentional collaboration has to happen like from the beginning. And I think yes. over time that collaboration turns into chemistry because as you, you know, you get familiar with your party and, you know, your uh -huh. friends, you start to work mm -hmm. more well, more well, you start to work right. better together. Uh, <laughs> well, but, weller, <laughs> you start to work weller together. But in the beginning, like you really need to like make sure that you're on the same page and that you're collaborating because I, I've heard of, you know, nightmare stories where people like get into a game and it's just not what they wanted or it's not what they yeah. expected or, you know, they're really just dissatisfied with the other players in the group because, you know, they didn't really take an effort to collaborate and work on, you know, setting the tone and setting the type of game that they wanted from the beginning, which requires, you know, intentional collab collaboration. So I think like in the beginning, it's super important, probably more so than later on. But it's still, you know, it's something that you want to continue to work on and work together. Yeah, it's this is something that should be assumed. But with a lot of, of, of groups with Dungeon Masters and Game Masters and players, it is not assumed. It's a lot of these, you know, I think I have made the mistake of, especially on this podcast, of like taking for granted my group. And I'm like, I, I know these guys like we've been playing for, you know, well over three years. And it's like, I know the, I know my world, I know their type personalities, I know what the kind of characters they want to create. And that makes the collaboration all the more fun and all the more natural. 
but mm-hmm. that is not inherent in a lot of uh of tables around the world so um that's something that really you want to look at and be like, Hey, communication is key. Like you should be messaging your players. You should be like, Hey, what's the deal? What kind of character do you want to be? What are some, you know, potential arcs you want to have? What, um, even like, you know, you know, what, uh, what are some magic items you want? What is, uh, maybe a multi-class you want to get into? Um, all these things are like super important just to like keep that open communication with everyone at the table. And I think it's, I think it's so much more fun and exciting when you have the opportunity to work with a player to help build and flesh out goals for, you know, what they want to accomplish in the campaign so that, you know, when they actually do it, they have a sense of accomplishment and you have a sense of accomplishment because you both yeah. brought them to, you know, a goal that you guys both want. Whereas instead of, you know, them just getting to where you wanted to in the story or them just getting that item that they want, you know, you're, you like having that sense of, you know, working together to have, uh, you know, goals that you want to achieve together makes them so much more satisfying when you can achieve them. A hilarious story I heard um, about the third season of Harmon Quest um, with the the Dungeon Master Spencer Crittenden uh, was... <laughs> so we, we watched, um, in the past month, we watched uh, the whole season. It was delightful. Uh, but one of the characters um, was, <laughs> he was this guy, um, Paul Shear, who, I don't know if you've heard of him. He has his own podcast. He's a really funny guy. He was in the show The League. Um, but he played a character that was just a massive molar tooth. <laughs> um, and so he went about, you know, and, and it was just a super strange episode because they're like, they're going through hell and he's just this tooth person. And it was so <laughs> funny. It was hilarious. And then I I, I uh, looked on Reddit and they explained it. Apparently Spencer messaged him and said, hey, you're going to be on for improving. Uh, you know, tomorrow we're going to be filming, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're going to be a, 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 a tiefling. And you're going to um, be this. And he goes, okay. And he thought he said tiefling. Teethling. Like teeth. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so the whole misunderstanding was he thought he was not a tiefling, but a teethling. And thought he was a tooth person. <laughs> I mean, that's the, it's actually a pretty reasonable thing to believe. Exactly. Yeah. No, it, like, yeah, it makes so much sense. And it was, um, it was delightful. It was so great. Um, and I really loved, obviously Spencer is working with like he has this very straight face um, type of dungeon master style because he's dealing with all these ridiculous improvers and the first rule of improv is yes and right mm-hmm. so if someone says you're a you're a tiefling and you read it as teethling you're like okay I'm a tooth person <laughs> <laughs> um, and so so uh, to flip that around uh, as dungeon masters how do you guys respond to people? especially people who are really good at improvisation, like being like, oh, I'm from the, the Black Maw to the north, and um, my, my brother was killed in the, the Battle of the Hundred Needles. Do you go like, okay, yep, that's a part of the world now? Or like, is there this kind of reticence to be like, wait, 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 you're, are you world building for me? Like, what's the, the tension with improvisation and world building? 
Yeah, it depends yeah. for me. Um, like if they have something that's like very contradictory to mm-hmm. establish lore, then I'm like, okay, well, let's try to like fit it. Like, what is it about that backstory that you love? And I'm gonna try to give it to you, but like we have to fit it into the existing lore. If they're like, I am uh, from like this desert that's completely undefined in every way in your campaign, I'm like, sure, great. Like it's empty. Like um, I can fit that in just fine. Yeah. Um, uh, most players are not that aggressive in world building. Like very probably I can count on one hand like the amount of times that's happened. Um, and in those cases, I was probably running a more dungeon world style of game where I'm, I say yes and. Um, and in fact, they built this entire mini, mini continent. Uh, that they were from <laughs> and i was like great like this is the the kingdom um the downside is that i later learned that one of the players had plagiarized every single name of oh every single place God. and put it in my game from a book i had never from heard where of. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you some young adult like fantasy fiction oh. um and needless to say i was a, i was a little peeved but then like it doesn't matter really i'm not publishing this but it's just knowing, like, oh, it wasn't original at all. It was just, like, literally word-for-word word plagiarized. Even the spelling was irregular. And, and he spelled – I remember it was at the kingdom. <laughs> and he spelled it for me. And I was like, what a strange – What a weird – Yeah, what, why would you spell it that way? It's because it was spelled that way in the book. <laughs> I think uh, – so we're talking about world building. I think it's when it goes against the tone Yeah, is the big thing. Mm. So it's like yeah. – yeah, you know, uh, you know, I'm having this serious game, and it sounds like, yeah, my name's a uh, poopy pants a lot. Yeah, and I'm like, that's a no. David, I'm right here. That's a. <laughs> it, it's just like, for me, it's it's like my job to kind of keep everything within like some sort of like unified vision, like try to bring everything together. And when things get too out of whack or out of mm-hmm. you know tone for like what we're trying to do. That's when I'm like, eh, let's rethink that. Yeah, there there was a uh, a it was a post on Reddit for like the D and D subreddit, and they're like, hey, I'm playing Curse of Strahd, you know, buy the books, like rules is written, and all my players want to be Marvel characters. Oh, and no. so he describes like, oh, this guy like makes this shield uh fighter that like you know the shield can return to him and he's like captain america and then other guys like uh uh um sorcerer light sorcerer that you know shoots out stuff and he's uh iron man like like, this list goes on and on and uh, and everyone's like oh no they're like this could be cool if you flavor it that way but like you should be upfront about that about um yeah Yes, ending, especially when it turns to like, you know, players who are like, I want to be James Bond. Mm. Like, <laughs> my name is Stony Tark. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess my answer still just, it depends. Because even then, like, I understand there's some players who uh, may not be that creative. And like, the, the most fantastic thing they can grasp onto that excites them is something like a Marvel movie. Uh, and so like they yeah. go back to that familiar uh, well to draw their their inspiration um and so i guess it depends on the players but then again uh and if you listen to our bonus episode you'll hear why um maybe an older school style game where characters are randomly generated um which takes a lot of that creative burden off of the players because hmm. then it's not like oh you have to create this cool concept it's like no like i'm just gonna roll some dice and the character kind of is born out of 
uh, out of the chaos of random chance. Yeah. Born into the void. I was born in the dark. I was born into the random void. (laughs) (laughs) My yearbook quote. (laughs) Oh, man. So we've been talking a lot about collaboration on kind of a grand scale of like you know a everyone is part of this uh collaboration but let's get into player specific collaboration um what experience do you guys have with collaborating with a single player as opposed to like you know group world building or like a group collaboration like a single player um are you guys fans of that have you done it um what do you do about that about single player collaboration can you give me an example so so uh, a prime example i can think of is um in in the uh in critical role where uh matt mercer goes okay everyone is taking a long rest okay um i need everyone to leave the table and he basically goes through a dream with the warlock about the warlock's patron and you know the uh the in-depth kind of personal journey and decisions made that it wouldn't make sense without everyone really having to turn off metagaming. It wouldn't make sense for them to be there. Yeah. And so um, that's one example I can think of, of like kind of a very personal character arc, um, you know, character collaboration that I can think of like 1v1 dungeon master to a single player. Um, but there, there are a bunch of other types of, of collaboration with a single player. But that, 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 that's an example. Well, well, the first one I think of is um, magic items. So sometimes players are like, hey, look, uh, I, I would like to find this type of item or, or this thing. I know 4th edition uh, was a little more, um, it was required to make that game run. Um, but just like players saying, like, look, here's where I want my character to go. Here's what I want to get, hopefully. Um, like maybe, you know, they want to have a chance to like meet a spouse, let's say. And so you kind of can shape the direction of your story oh. to, to match that. Um, that way, because oh, I, I do those kind of check-ins all the time when I'm running 5e of like, okay, so, um, here, like they give me this awesome backstory, this cool, whatever, like what would be your ideal outcome for this character? Like, where do you want to go? And always the players have ideas when I ask that question. And then yes. it, that way I'm not like building up this cool thing that I think is cool. And then when we get there, they're upset or disappointed because it wasn't what they wanted. I love, you know, that type of collaboration, especially when it comes to story games, because it can, it just adds depth to the characters and the story and to, I don't know, making, making them feel more individual instead of like, this is like a big like group party adventure. Or like a team-up movie, this is more of like, you know, each person has their own individual story to tell and their own impact that they can have. And showing the, I guess, individualism in a big group setting can mean a lot to just developing and, you know, having unique experiences for each person because there's always going to be things that you miss in a collaborative game. Like not everybody's going to get like 100% enjoyment out of everything that is done. So catering things like small things like that to specific players and having you know their like i don't even want to say it's like a moment in the spotlight but it's like you know a moment to develop and show who they are in game is yeah fun and unique yeah and i think going back to to what we talked about earlier in character creation it's like a lot of these are baked in 
um, as like uh, fish hooks, you know, like like um, plot plot hooks that you know. If you say, "Yeah, I've been looking for my brother. He's been missing for for fifteen years." If you hear that as a dungeon master, that's like warning lights should be lighting up in your mind. You're like, okay, that brother, guess what? He's gonna show up mm-hmm. in the campaign. Um, and so I, I think that's um, that's really important to have these kind of personal arcs built into it. And, and like, it's like when you're making your character, be like, yeah, I I haven't seen my father in this many years, or. You know, a lot of these are so cliche, but like, um, yeah, I um, was uh, maybe interacted with a magic item that like scarred me or like and, and, and now I'm like searching for it or I mean, there, there's a million different options. I don't want to improv a bunch of uh, plot hooks, but um, yeah, all these are super important in the character creation process to be like, I want to end up like this. Um, I've had a lot of characters that um, players want to make a character like, hey, I want my my character to be like this. And so they understand in order to get their character like this, it's going to take them multi-classing and getting a specific magic item for them to really, uh, as the min-maxers would say, come online. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really working with players, be like, yeah, yeah, if you invest that much, if you really uh go nuts in that direction like yeah you you will get rewarded and become the type of character you want to be even if it's you know uh not as beneficial in the early levels but um yeah really just like like collaborating with like what you want your arc to be um i i've had a player tell me that he wanted to make the ultimate sacrifice at the end of the campaign like his goal yes. was to heroically sacrifice to save his friends, which was really cool until another guy came to me privately and said he wanted to make the ultimate sacrifice to save his friends. And I was like, oh, no, everybody Double wants to. Trouble. <laughs> okay. There can only be one ultimate sacrifice. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you got to Yeah. They could. They can both die for sure. Um, another example that I have actually this happened um, in my. Maybe, I don't know if you were there for this, Jake. You might have been playing your turtle guy in, in your game when you were here in town. Um, and oh, it has yeah. to do with charm effects, um, which is less of collaboration and more of cooperation from a player. Oh, um, so good. But I think it works where um, I sent a text. like some, Basically, they were interacting with a person they didn't know had magic and they cast charm person. And I texted him and I said, uh, you've been charmed. Like, just be very agreeable to this guy, no matter what he says. And so oh. then the rest of the table didn't realize um, until, like, the very end of the conversation. Like, Wait a minute. You're like, you're being very <laughs> forgiving with these terms of this agreement. Um, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> what's, wrong, what's wrong with that? <laughs> See, I love that. I, I don't know. I like the, like, 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 one of the NPCs comes over and whispers something to one of the players. And it's like, now they have that, like forbidden knowledge that none of the rest of the table has and it and it gives players a choice to you know uh either share that with the table or you know keep it to themselves and it it, it kind of reveals character details like i want to incorporate like my goal is to incorporate more of that stuff in the games that i run dude yeah okay so the most this is what i was talking about with like collaborating with players this is like oh okay i love this stuff of being like 
at what point do you like single out people, maybe take them aside, send them a text message, be like, okay, hey, listen up, Th this thing is different. You've got to act different. Uh, my favorite example of this is doppelgangers, which are so fun. Um, but like, if you take a break, um, this would be a good time to pull aside one of your players, be like, hey, listen up, you are not you. <laughs> like, you are a doppelganger. Act weird. And like I, I have done, I have done stuff like this, and it has always paid off in spades. It has been amazing when, like, I, I will be okay. There's, you know, and honestly, this is such a good reveal at the end of a session of like them opening up a trunk, and they're like, "Wait, that's that's Garrison." What, then who is this Garrison? You know, like that's the best thing ever. Um. But like, like pulling aside a player, being like, okay, a, a doppelganger has has turned into you, and you've been locked away somewhere else. And so, honestly, the only thing I've texted people this, I've talked to them, is I've been like, just act weird, <laughs> and they gleefully do it so well, right? Like, like if you have the, you're like, why is the wizard acting weird? Hey, Garrison, what are you doing? Like, what, we need, and and they're just like, oh, I'm fine. And you're like, oh, bro, something's wrong. So you're like in a crisis scenario and you're like, cast fireball, dude. And he's like, uh, because huh? like, the, yes. the doppelganger doesn't and, know magic. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Like that's the key is subtlety. Like you want it to be like subtle, um, but you want it to be realistic because you don't want the player to, because I know several players, I can think of it. Like I'll text them. Like, hey, you're, you're taken over by a doppelganger, so your your character act weird, and they just be like, oh, oh, doppel, I'm a different thing, you know, and it, it ruins it, right? And that's what I think the deep crux of collaboration is: is like, hey, this is detrimental to the party. It's almost like anti meta gaming, like you're meta gaming to make it worse for your group. <laughs> yeah. And and that is something that um, I think is really important to to really get collaboration, especially with, and this applies to madness, especially in uh, Call of Cthulhu games, like just like going insane, uh, mind control, especially with doppelgangers. Um, but this can be a really 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 fun way for a player to to, to act weird and the other players to be like, wait, is this? What's going on? Like, that's such a fun moment. Wait a minute. Who are you? Because. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, imagine texting a player or something like, um, uh, all of your friends have been replaced by, like, demon people, and you're the only one who can tell. And then, like, then they start acting crazy because their perception is different. And then the table's like, why are, you know, it's... Um, I think that there's an important point here that like Jake said about the doppelganger who's like the player doesn't know how to play that. And so knowing who to trust with that kind of yes. player collaboration because it's not going to work for everybody. Yes. I think like I I like the idea of I don't know why this is reminding me of, but like rumors mm -hmm. but like you you start giving like NPCs rumors to spread about like other people in the party. <laughs> oh no. So Oh yeah. Just to like spread, you know. Yes, this this is something really good that I think goes to a, a broader point about um, like there there are some cool things that you want to kind of like 
you don't want to say, okay, everyone leave the table except this person. Because you want everyone to see kind of the craziness and be like, oh, crap, I got a metagame. But along with what David was saying with, like, rumors, that's where you go, everyone leave. Because or even just, like, giving people different pieces of information. Yes, yes. Yeah. But, like, there is this sort of, um, we've played, all of us, a lot of different party games where you're given small amounts of information or, like, hidden agenda type games where everyone has different roles that no one knows, you know, who is who and who's telling the truth. Um, those can be super fun and satisfying because, yeah, there's this this tension of no one knows what's really going on. And so I've played in horror games where I've been like, okay, everyone leave except this person. Or like, okay, we're going to take a break. I need to talk to this person. Um, and everyone's like, what did you tell him? What's happening? What? What? what, what why do we not get to know that? Like, oh, like, oh. And it, it really just ramps up the tension of you're like, oh my gosh, there's information that, that some players know that the rest of the table doesn't. That like, oh, just adds to the excitement. Hmm. That tends to be horror games, and it tends to be um, th those type of, you know, th that's not going to be a standard heroic 5e D&D game, but um, a lot of that, like, hidden agenda, secret dreams, and don't want to let your allies know everything is, yeah, tends to be horror. There's a sci-fi one-shot I've been planning on running for over a year where um, it's like a suicide mission, oh. and one of the players is a traitor. Mm. Oh. but a traitor in the sense that he's trying to save his life and will do anything oh. to do that instead of like doing the ultimate thing and like saving the lives of a whole planet or whatever <laughs> um and you tell them like early on and anyway it's oh, just trying to find a way so to escape good. yeah like at any cost and what so a it's delight. like yeah and so and at that point it becomes more like an improv session because their influence is going to really change how the session plays oh out. that sounds so fun yeah, yeah. i would definitely I I wish I was a trade. I I'll pick you or Jake probably. Be oh, okay. Um, so let's talk about how to set up um these sorts of things, these kind of personal single, you know, dungeon master to player um interactions and collaborations. I think we've just you know alluded to it. You want to pick the player that would be best suited to act against his own character self interest. Um, or the player that is most ready to uh, to do these kind of improvisational things. Um, and really, the, the bottom line is consent. Mm. You don't want to like like single out the shy person and be like, hey, you're a, a doppelganger who wants to kill the whole party now. Like, can you imagine that? They'd be like, what? I know. Can I not? I just, I showed up to play D&D. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of players like that who are like, I showed up to just like kind of interact and have a good time with this kind of fantasy role-playing fun thing. And there are other players and you, you, you know, who they are dungeon masters. Um, you know, which ones at the table are like, yes, make me betray the party. Make me be a mind controlled person. Make me be a doppelganger. Um, and, and yeah, that is the whole like communication is key outside of the game to figure out who wants to do that, who could be a potential great way to do that. Yeah, I think I think that's great. Like finding like the right player to do that is definitely important because you don't mm -hmm. want to put someone. Yeah, I think that just comes back to collaborating. Like you don't want to you don't want to force someone into a position that they don't want to be in. And, yeah. You know, 
there's someone who definitely would want to fill that role and would want to you know take up that mantle of aha yeah i'm secretly uh taken over by you know mind controlled by uh some sort of uh lich yeah and there is um also kind of um you know if we're playing a game like everyone's gonna be like, oh jake is is wanting to he's craving this kind of r- ridiculous mind control doppelganger crap um and so that's why it is important to communicate with everyone because occasionally the shy person will want to be like oh yeah i can do that no one will suspect me oh and that yeah. could be really cool too it's really communicating with everyone and um kind of uh, making that moment super great you know especially if they're not expecting it or the player yeah so all that i wanted to say about personal arcs is that some players really don't care or they don't understand Mm. why you even need that yeah some people are really just here to swing a sword and have fun um and in that case collaborating with them means just giving them the clearest path to fun yes as they they define it yes um and so I mean, I, I play D&D with a just diverse array of people and um, what they want out of the game is very different. And so um, when we say collaborate, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I want this complex three-part story arc where I like redeem myself and I become the Lord of the Fire Nation like my insane father never could. That's rough, buddy. Um, <laughs> just to make him a random example that totally pulled off the top of my head. Um, and some people just say... Um, I want to hit stuff. Yeah, some people some people want to be Star Lord and have you know that those emotional you know scenes. And some people and some people want to be Drax and they just want to slash things. Yeah, when is Gamora? No, and I think this this goes back to communication being key. Is like, hey, what do you want out of this game? Um, and some people will surprise you. You're like the shy person will. You know, they might want to be like, okay, yeah, I could betray the party. Um, but a lot of times you can kind of um, predict that. But but yeah, message everyone. Make sure everyone's, um, all, this is weird, on the same page individually. Yeah. So you know you're in trouble if all of the the entirety of the group is messaging each other outside of you the dungeon master actually that you're not in trouble you're in great shape because they're probably like oh crap there's a red dragon we have to try to outsmart the dungeon masters that's that's scratch that that's awesome um that's a collaboration that doesn't include you yeah, yeah. that's player and then they player start playing without you and then you're like yeah. wait what happened and then they stop talking to you <laughs> they play their own yeah they start their own uh group but but yeah that that is collaboration with players is is awesome but the the one on one is where you you really need to uh, pick people out and be like okay, I think my favorite thing is saying like okay everyone leave the table I need to talk to so and so alone, and regardless of what you say that just ramps up the tension that just goes like oh my gosh what 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 are we what what happened you know especially like if an NPC comes up and is like oh, Bartholomew I haven't seen you in twenty five years. We need to talk. And, and you know, the player's like, okay, yeah, 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 we do. Um, just, just wait a bit. And I go, okay, you guys are all taking a long rest. And they're like, yeah, we take a long rest. It's like, okay, um, everyone leave the room. And and they're like, wait, what? We can't, we can't, you know, listen to what Bartholomew is going to play, you know, uh, up to this character. Like, yeah, th- there's this kind of yearning for the whole story. And that's when personal arcs can get incredible is when 
people care about. You know, people really don't want to miss out on other players' backstories. You know, because, like, the worst thing is, you know, if everyone's texting, and they're like, okay, yeah, he's just, he's uh, he's in his own hometown, he's just talking to his old friend, uh, yeah, boring, <laughs> backstory. It's the best when they're like, oh my gosh, wait, what? Who is that guy? What is, how does he know you? Uh, what's going on? Like, like you want all the players to mutually care about each other's backstories and mm. saying, me as the dungeon master, I need to talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, just ramps up the tension and makes everyone else a little more enticed to be invested in their backstory. There's a little, you know, jealousy and envy where it's like, oh, I want to know. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're 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 kind of like tricking the players into like being interested in the other people's backstories because it's like, <laughs> oh, you can't like I'm not privy to this information. Now I have to know. <laughs> like now I I want to know, you know, what's going on with these other players, which I think makes the game more interesting when you when you care about the rest of your party yeah. oh. instead of just like Oh yeah, he's like you know he's from Fremulon Five, and his dad's a classic a, dude, a, an engineer. A tale as old as time. <laughs> oh, classic! <laughs> the engineer from Fremulon Five, man. <laughs> so, um, to kind of finish off our conversation, what do you guys think about spoilers to specific players? Like, is it a cardinal sin to be like, hey, buddy, remember your old, uh, your old mentor? Yeah, he's a lich now, and you're going to encounter him next session. So think about what you'd want to say to him. Is that type of collaboration too much? Like, do you not want to spoil that moment? Or do you want them to be prepared to make that moment great for the entire table? Because they're ready for it. Oh, that's interesting. So I... I think it's interesting. I've never really thought of like spoiling a moment before in a game where it's like telling a player ahead of time, but I actually think it could be really good for the rest of the party if you do, because then you can kind of set up that unique interaction. But I, I think it all depends on, you know, the game and the story you're, you're, you know, working to tell and, you know, whether your players are interested in something like that. But I think it's something that you could, you know, uh, test out and try but it's something that i'd be curious to test and see hmm. yeah uh, okay so this has given me a crazy idea where you could orchestrate a situation and you go to one or more players alone and you say okay like let's i'm picturing you're in a dungeon and you've uh one of the players finds like his long lost ancestor or dad or something who's evil and you say what would you, like here's the situation plan out what your player or what your character is going to do. And so they think about it. And maybe they even tell you like, oh, well, I'm going to betray the party and join him to become like a mega lich or something. <laughs> and then maybe you go to another character and you say, okay, so here's what's going to happen with this character. He's going to join this person. Like, what do you want to do? Like you could, okay, let me explain it this way. Oh, I'm in, I'm in. When improv is happening, the, Typically, the best you're going to get from players in the spur of the moment is kind of a mellow drama, right? Like it's an overly um, dramatic scene. Yeah. Because they don't have time to really make it great. Like if you think of writing like novelists, all they do is they write a scene or they write this book and then they rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it yeah, until, until it's as it's, tight and as sharp yes. as it can be. And so you just can't get that on the first draft like on improv stage. So in order to help that – 
you're giving this yes. uh, the spoilery knowledge to make that or like scene, an yeah, to make that scene just really hit hard, and so therefore Dude, you yes, need yes, okay, yeah, interesting. I, I thought you guys would fight tooth and nail against this because this this <laughs> feels fool. you know this we're on your not... side. <laughs> Spoilers. And, um, no, th- this doesn't feel like I don't know. This feels a little um, railroady, like like being like, hey, buddy. You know, there's this is going to happen, so be prepared. You know, and and I don't think you should like really lay out every spoiler, but you should be like, hey, um, even this is great. Be like, hey, uh, like messaging one of the players, be like to the rogue, be like, hey, you're going to meet an old friend in the town of Waterdeep next week. You know, just just stuff like that gets people mm-hmm. uh, gets people it's pumped. So um, and yeah. so it doesn't have to be overtly spoilery. Um, but I think it can add to the role play and make it better for everyone if, if they have kind of a prepared response. Or even they're not like covered in acid and are like, wait, what? Dad? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like warning people about a difficult decision. Like that that yeah. idea yeah. makes it makes it more interesting because you'll get more interesting choices from it. Yeah. So if you say like you're gonna have to make this difficult choice, like be thinking about, you know what you're going to do and you don't necessarily give them all the details yes that's but good. like when yes. they get there it's like oh like this was the choice that they're talking yes. about and i and they kind of have an idea of what they want to do mm-hmm. and that and that makes the game you know better because it's like they already have an outline in their head and that that, that way they can you know help tell a better story oh and they don't have to make a story decision under pressure because they had a week or whatever to yeah because it. especially pressure that will be bad in a lot of cases where they're like oh crap like I'm determining where the campaign goes. Oh my god! They'll sit there for 15 minutes, and everyone's kind of like, "Okay, like, yeah, just pull the trigger." They're like, "This determines where the campaign. If we go north or south, and oh, if we kill the the maiden, if we, you know, decide to ride the dragon, you know, like, there's there's all this wrapped up in there. And if you give them the week to think about that, you know, while they're working their desk job, they can be like, "Oh yeah, do I want to save the maiden? Do I want to ride the dragon south? Blah blah,", blah. and that. Yeah, I think it gives them, um, what do they call this, like, uh, for a dungeon master, solo fun, where mm-hmm. you're kind of, like, playing yeah. the game when not playing the game. I think you can give that gift, really, to your players of be like, okay, hey, here's a decision that's going to happen. I'm not going to give you all the details, but really think about how your character would react. And suddenly, they're having fun. They're role-playing, you know, while they're sitting, you know, as at their desk job as an HR man. You know, see, like, I don't know. I think I I would be more inclined to make an inoptimal decision because I have more time to think about it instead of just like, oh, I'm just going to do the same thing here. I But I feel like if I if I was given time in advance, I would make, you know, like I might be more inclined to betray the party or do something. Yeah. Make make the character drama. driven. Yeah. Decision. yeah. Mm-hmm. Not what would David do, but what would like Gornak do? Yeah. Yeah. Which, or what would be interesting for Gornak to do? Yeah. You know, and it just having that extra time. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. So I think we've kind of arrived on, you don't want to be like, okay, yeah, Gornak's uh, old mentor, who's now a lich, is coming, and he's going to say, quote, 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 here's his exact lines, and you're going to respond with, fill in your quote here. Oh, like, no. you don't want to... It's like scripted where you have... Yeah, you, it, you don't want it to be scripted, but I think That's it's LARPing. very interesting to be like, hey, a big decision will happen with this character um at this point 
And so think about possible scenarios, like just mm-hmm. a little bit of hints that um, can kind of excite the player, um, especially if it's just one. And so maybe they can have a more prepared response that makes the interaction better for the entire table. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I think you sh- you should be. I don't think you should be like anti spoilers and be like let let the cards fall as they may. Like if you're having a story driven campaign, let some of the key characters just know that an important decision is coming so they can uh, prepare, have their own solo fun, and make it better for the whole table. I think like and and I think uh, this this for me would take it to the next level if you can find a way to like tease those ideas in game as like you know a vision or a dream or something oh, like that like yeah. that would like take Ooh. it to the next level where it's like you know this player has this reoccurring dream that you know someone from their past comes up and they have to you know make a decision you know, dude with like, clerics you can do this so easily mm-hmm. oh yeah you know because like yeah. the god can just kind of intervene in a point of like hey when you encounter a crossroads go left you know that's the absurd simple way but you know another way would be like hey you're going to encounter an old friend tomorrow like yeah all those things can be yeah almost a non-metagaming way of um of making the story better and preparing possible decisions so it isn't this kind of spur of the moment uh drunken improv nightmare <laughs> yeah Drunken improv nightmare. Hey, I've had some pretty good times at those kind of parties. That was my nickname in high school. (laughs) So one last thing, Jake, um, about giving your players hints. You could be like, you know, you're going to be robbed on the road, so make sure you store your valuables somewhere safe. Maybe like a vault? (laughs) Oh. Welcome to the Question Vault. Every week we answer one of your questions, which you can submit to us at boxercannapodcast at gmail.com. This question is from Cam Mitchell on Twitter, who asks, what are some of your favorite mundane magic items? Oh, thanks, Cam. Dude, these are so fun. Okay, mundane magic items. I don't know if that's what they're called in the, uh, uh, the Xanathar's Guide to Everything where they... They first kind of had some official ones. I can't remember. They're called like uh, I want to look it up. Um, but they're yeah, they're magic items that just kind of increase the flavor of the world without breaking the game. Of like a plus four magic sword. Like they're they're just little magical items that remind you, oh, this is not our world. So I like items that kind of aid in world building, and I saw yeah. this a lot in. Eberron, actually, where he's taken so many of these spells or um, or magic items and just put them in the world. So, for instance, he has um, it's called a cleansing stone. In the in this town square, there's this big rock, like think of it a fountain, and when you touch your clothes to it, it just cleans them like to brand new. And so, like you see people just coming out instead of doing laundry, you just bring out your basket of stuff. You're just touching laundry to the stone, oh. and then you take it back to your house. Like super simple, yeah. but. It, it's so flavorful to think like this has just saved so much time for like this medieval society. Like, what oh, like? yeah. Um, what's another one? Um, oh, man. I, I think for me, anything involving. Um, so we talked about this with the the ranger class as how it like kind of solves problems that aren't an issue in most campaigns. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that's really annoying when it's your main class feature. Um, but I think it's really delightful when it's like a, a mundane magic item, right? So so an example I can think of is uh, uh, like cooking meals. Like any any magic, like mundane magic item involving cooking is so delightful to me because you think, okay, yeah, we eat uh, one ration and go to bed. It's like, but if you have some sort of magic item like like a frying pan that that, that makes the perfect meal for you um despite what you put in it so you could just put in a bunch of slime and it makes a perfect omelet Mm -hmm. you know or like like anything like that where it's like it turns your okay cross off one ration and i go to bed if it turns that into something magical and fun and delightful oh i love it i love Mm -hmm. it i i think the I guess I guess a tip would be for making mundane magic items. Think of like a lot of laborious tasks that would take a lot of time, or that you know people in uh, the world commonly yeah. struggle with, and like think of something that would help augment that, and you know make it a, their life a little bit easier. And usually those are like good mundane items that you can come up with. So like cooking is is something that you know people do every day all the time. You know maybe like uh, bed sheets that uh, you know fix themselves, you know, stuff like that. Like, <laughs> These yes, little like yes. flavor 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 tidbits that you <laughs> like can use a, to add. a hammock that is like self rocking. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and you don't have to hang it on anything. It yes. Floats. Oh, what a delight! Because you like you're like every night if you have that magic item, you're gonna be like, I put up my self rocking hammock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and everyone's like, okay, but it's like it's so delightful because it's like everyone else like I get into my bedroll, I cross off a ration. Tonight. You know, it's like that's not as fun as being like a, I set up my self hanging, self rocking. Or you or like yeah, imagine like having like a painting that you just like unroll and it's 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 a fireplace and it actually produces like warmth and light. <laughs> oh like, that's kinda cool. Delightful. Like, you know, yeah. that's that's fun, that's flavorful, that, that reinforces, yeah. you know, whatever tone. So like picking items that, you know, fit the tone that you're trying to go for. I don't know, like uh, if I'm thinking of specifics the one I'm thinking of is there was a tattoo of like a knife that you could like pull out of your skin. Oh, yeah. And it was an oh. actual like knife. So it was like, you know, for an assassin mm-hmm. who would want to sneak in, you know, weapons, they'd just have like a magical tattoo that they would just. Wasn't that mine? Pull out. I, that wasn't one of your games. Yeah. I'm pretty and it was, sure. That was I've really cool. It for sure. But. And I'm, I remember it. It's just, it's such a cool idea. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think you could look to something like, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is Harry Potter, where mm-hmm. they have lots of mundane magic, um, like a clock that shows you like how close your family members are to danger um, all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's just, it's kind of silly, but, you know, very useful. Or even the newspapers, where they're like somewhat animated. Yeah. Something. Oh, that, uh, just... th- these these can be story-driven, too. Like, I'm thinking of the, uh, the compass from... Uh... Oh, Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, like like you open up, it's like it points to what you want most, what you most mm-hmm. desire. And like, oh my God, what a useful plot tool. Um, <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, so that brings up a, but, yeah. a valid point about items that are plot tools. I, I, I can't think of anything right now other than the compass that is like something that would actually help with the plot. But um yeah, if you could think of that, man, that's gonna be the most useful magic item. Oh in the yeah, game. like uh, yeah, let let's try to think of a few. Like like mundane magic items that are like really important to the plot. You know that aren't necessarily like the MacGuffins. 
you know, mm. like the, the tricolor rainbow crystal, you know, oh. that like you have to take to the, you know, the, the all fount to destroy, you know, not ring to Mordor stuff, but like, yeah, what's something like similar to that? That's like plot. Well, okay. So like I was playing in one of Will's games, I was playing a Horizon Walker Ranger, which is like the, the guy who can, who sees magic portals and stuff. He's oh, like an, yeah. an eclectic guy with like weird items like that. And his portal key was... It was just like a glass eye that he had in. So it was just like, so oh, he would just take yeah. out his eye and like plug it into the socket. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and it's just like a, a part of who he, he was. So, you know, things like that. Uh, um, that's I, cool. I, yeah. I like the, I like the compass, uh, from Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, you can have a compass that, you know, points to something that, you know, character wants. Oh, here's I, one. Oh, or, I, sorry, Jake. Go ahead. Oh no, no. So I was saying we we made during our uh, high seas adventure episode um, an episode this uh, the or a, a magic item that's almost the exact opposite of the compass from Pirates of the Caribbean, where it's like this um, you know weird spawn of a illithid that's like always kind of going back to its hive, and it's kind of like bouncing towards it all the time. So you kind of have this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing heading i think anything that has like a uh, directional aspect to it or a plot not necessarily MacGuffin, but like say you have a uh, a pearl necklace that like the one of the pearls will light up if like your god is directing you to do something and or like a it. sense bad guy detector where oh. it's so so like in lord of the rings there's the the sword that glows with yeah the, like yeah, that's, that's a cool thing. I, I think vagueness, especially if we're talking about mundane magic items, these have to be like vague. But like if, it, you know, the, the single pearl glows brightly, if your god wants you to do something. That is so vague. But like, you know, if you guys are like at a, you're like, okay, do we cross the bridge or do we go down to the barracks? You know, and then they're like, oh, this pearl lights up. You go, oh, guys, 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 guys. As a cleric, my god wants me to do something. Hmm. And everyone's like, oh, okay, what? <laughs> like, hmm. it's such a, a vague, uh, delightful thing that, you know, it's could uh, mundane. A, a mundane thing that you could have is uh, you could have a, a gold coin that, like, vibrates whenever there's large amounts of, like, other gold coins nearby Ooh. or, like, in a close proximity. So you're like going around, like walking through town, and you just feel like your coin mm-hmm. vibrating in your pocket. There's like a wagon going by, and you're like, hmm. hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then you can kind of use that later on to like, uh, to like bait players into doing things or, mm. you know, have them interact with the world. That's cool. So I have one that's very specific, and I don't know, maybe you build your campaign around it, but the idea is that um, there's two or three of these journals that are linked, and whatever's written in one appears in the other. Um, oh. so this could be uh, probably like communication between pirate lords or, or so government good. heads, yes. but, but then I might change that. And so you have, let's say a mercenary. And if he gets a written communication from anybody, he can put it into this book. And now whenever that person writes anything down, that writing appears in his book. So Ooh. he tracks his targets by, um, by figuring out like, you know, d- deducing from their writing. And once again, very specific. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I love the idea of there like being two archmages that you know have the same thing. They like are kind of like comparing notes, literally, uh, mm-hmm. where they write something and it appears in the other ones, and vice versa. And like you just come across a dead wizard, oh. and you have that journal, and so basically you just get to see what the other one is like. Hey, you alive, Zaltkar? <laughs> 
like, and they're like writing wizard notes and stuff. Like, oh, there's so much fun stuff. I mean, you could make that the other journal of pirate lord or like the king himself or like, oh, mundane magic items are delightful. And honestly, I can't think of a campaign. I can't think of a setting. I can't think of a situation where I would want to, you know, pump the brakes on having too many mundane magic items. They're just delightful. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's not overloading your world, and you like, yeah. you can't, you trip, you trip over the amount of magic items. In the yeah, game. but yeah, there's so. I mean, you can just have like a, a yeah, like a bartender handing out drinks with a bunch of like kind of like mage hand esque tankards, mm. or you know, someone writing a speech, and they're saying the speech, and they're like a quill is recording the speech. Like, oh, there's just so many, and it doesn't affect the world in a way that. Um, breaks it but it's just delightful and you're reminded oh this is a cool magical whimsical world thank you for listening to vox arcana episode 55 i'm william i'm jake and i'm david we'll see you next time i just wanted to say thanks i'm glad you came along partner <laughs>